0: Which is like a big philosophy I have with the program here is like, I get it. We all have stuff, but like, I'm not going to treat you any different than I treat any other climber.
1: That is changemaker Jillian Yatsko. And this is the Wilder Mind podcast. My mind grows wilder When I
2: stoke that fire inside Hear the call in the distance It's a long road worth
1: your while. Hey, hi, hello everyone. I am your host, Cody Cameron, and welcome to the show. Well, here we are, summer just around the corner. I hope that your road trips are mapped, flight tickets are booked, and the adventurous promise of the long sunlit days and warm nights are on the horizon. lucky for you, there will be a steady stream of new and exciting conversations coming your way from the pod to keep you, your friends, and family company along the way. If you follow me on social media, you'll notice that I'm finally getting some branded merchandise released. If you'd like some, just shoot me a mailing address and I'll send it your way. Message me on Instagram at cody.camerlin or shoot me an email at cody at wildermindpodcast.com. Dot .com. No charge, as honestly, I'm just stoked that people enjoy the show. A small way for me to say a big thank you. And be on the lookout, as I'll soon start to release other merchandise at the lowest cost possible, to help support the expense of producing this show. So today, we sit down with Jillian Yatsko, a person who wears many hats. And here they are. <clears throat> founder and president of the Hazel Foundation for Athletics, founder of the adaptive and innovative climbing programs at Mesa Rim Climbing and Fitness Center, course instructor for Paradox Sports, and member of the USA Climbing Team. If that's not enough, just as she was launching into all of these projects, she herself was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. No way to predict no known cure, and constant changes in severity, frequency, and longevity of symptoms. But Jill does not let this define her, but she also doesn't deny it. She accepts it as part of her life, but not all of it. Jill lives here in San Diego, and we met years back through a mutual friend, Alexis Tia, a name that you listeners should be familiar with. We'd run into each other at Mesa Rim and out and about during Alexis's live shows. But it wasn't until this podcast that we really started to get to know each other. Thank you to Pure Brewing for staying open late so we could align our busy schedules to chat. You know, it's funny. The longer we sat on those bar stools, wearing out the soles of our shoes on the rail, the further we departed from podcast-friendly material. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. There's so much to Jill's story that I won't even attempt to summarize it. We'll just jump right in with a warning that there will be some strong language in this episode. And thank you to Mesa Rim for letting us use the conference room at your Mission Valley location. You all are the best. Now, let's do the damn thing. Ah) uh, <laughs> Jillian Yatsko. Yes. How's it going?
0: Good. How are Good. you? I'm great. Cool. Cool.
1: So uh, we're at Mesa Rim right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Just, just got, got done, done coaching.
1: Yeah. So what kind of coaching were you doing?
0: Uh, so today was our adaptive team program. So the among all of the branches within the adaptive program, there's the team, which is like a pretty core group of seven climbers who are here three days a week. They're all like moderately adults um, and all have some kind of physical disability.
1: When you say moderately adult, do you mean in age or in maturity? Both.
0: <laughs> Definitely, like, more in age is what I originally meant. But after I said it, I was like, also maturity. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's like uh, a lot of them have been here since day one, which wow. has been six years. And Oh, so today, uh, one of the girls on the team has been here since... We started this program and i realized she's gonna be a senior in high school next year and i was like i'm sorry i met you when you were 11 like Good who Lord. allowed this to happen <laughs> <laughs> like you grew up <laughs> pardon
1: <laughs> I, and by that you definitely mean who allowed them to work with you for six years yeah right? yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> like have i really known you that long and has no one stepped in yet <laughs>
1: i'm gonna need her parents names to chat with them about this (laughs) that's incredible yeah wow i
0: know six years six years so long
1: (laughs) and six years of a program that you started yeah six years ago Mm -hmm.
0: i know it's crazy i just wrote um an article for viore climb or viore clothing because they're a partner with the hazel foundation now And i like wrote a blog for them about how all of this came about (laughs) and i've never really like sat down and analyzed the steps that my life took to get where i am now and i was like holy shit like this has been such a long like crazy journey of just chaos
1: (laughs) yes let's hear the chaos
0: so it all started in um 2013 i had just turned 20 Packed all my shit, dropped out of college, got on an airplane, moved to San Diego, came to Mesa Rim, <laughs> begged them for a job. <laughs> I was like, hey. Um, which also, like, six years ago, Mesa Rim was a single gym location with, like, 15 staff and, like, 200 check-ins a day. Like, it was small time. Wow. And so I, like, kind of just, like, crept my way in and was like, hey, I just moved here. Uh, I'm poor. And I have nowhere to live and no job. And they were like, you sound <laughs> perfect. Like, <laughs> yes, come on in.
1: Like us too, welcome. Hell
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so I started working the front desk here. But what I found out late, like a year later was that they actually liked someone else better than me. But they felt bad.
2: <laughs> oh <my> God.
0: <laughs> so the guy who I got hired with was actually like their choice whose name is Chris Regan,
2: <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to
0: call him out. He's my good friend now. Excellent. But, um, but they felt bad, so they, like, gave me a job, but then only gave me one shift a week. <laughs> but it was the best, like, the best eight hours of my week, so it was okay. Um, but anyway, so I started working front desk, and then I was like, man, like, I don't really have enough money to eat anything other than, like, pasta so yes. i gotta do something else here and at the time like the climbing industry was growing and things were in a different place than they are now like it definitely was in the olympics and like all these like corporate sponsorships didn't really exist and it was just smaller um so there was a lot of room to have ideas right and it was like a super creative time so there was one night i was laying in bed just like starfishing and thrashing And I was like, damn, like, I got to do something. (laughs) Like, like, I'm bored. (laughs) And so (laughs) I had the idea to start an adaptive program. And I had seen one from back home or, like, seen people check in for it at the gym I worked at back home. And um, that one was only for kids with physical disabilities. But they also only operated in this, like, tiny little section of the gym that was also closed off. So, like, I always saw all these kids coming in, like, never got to see them climb, but I was like, oh, that's, like, cool. So one time at Mesa, like, months before, or weeks before this sleepless night, these two sisters had come in, and one of them was in a wheelchair, and the other one was checking in for, like, a youth program, and I was like, damn, that kind of sucks, like, this sister in this wheelchair like is just sitting here watching and like kids want to do stuff with their siblings oh yeah so when i was thrashing around that night i was like i should start something for kids like that or like adults like that or just anyone so i emailed um the owner of mason whose name was ian mcintosh or is ian mcintosh (laughs) 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 um and i was like hey uh i think we should start an adaptive program like it sounds sick like they used to do it back home blah blah blah. it was like very brief because it was (laughs) two in the morning and that was the first night i realized that people who have vision and dreams like don't sleep because he emailed me back immediately and was like yeah sounds good like let's talk tomorrow and i was like whoa
2: oh that's awesome (laughs) okay that's awesome
1: crazy
0: yeah so then the next day we sat down and chatted about it and he was like yeah like of course let's do it Like, no big deal. I was like, cool. (laughs) And I didn't know shit about disabilities. Like, I studied photons and read science textbooks and, like, listened to podcasts about dirt bacteria. Like, I was such a dweeb. What? And just, like, got stoned all the time. Like, I didn't know anything about chronic medical conditions, much less, like, people missing limbs. And I just had no background in it, so I really didn't know what I was getting into. (laughs) But um, we set a date for later that fall. And we're like, cool, we'll have like a big community day where we'll invite everyone with a disability to come climb with us and we'll just like figure it out.
1: <laughs> Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so we had the date and it was like, I think like eight months away or something. Cause I was just like, I should really like talk to some people before this. <laughs> so we like gave ourselves enough time to kind of figure it out. Nice. Um, and then that summer I started getting really sick and I was climbing at a gym in North San Diego with my partner who I was with. And I was like, could not grab anything with my left hand. Like I was just blowing off every hold. And at the time, like back then when I had all this free time, I was like pretty strong. So I knew it was like rare. <laughs> um, and I was like, damn, Taylor, like something is really wrong with my left hand. And he's like, oh, you're just climbing too much. Like maybe like messed it up or you're just overworked, like rest a couple days, whatever. Um, but then the next couple of weeks, I was like sleeping 20 hours a day, like was just felt so like run down. But I don't know what from because I wasn't really working, <laughs> doing anything. Um, and so we made the decision that I was going to fly back home to New Jersey because <clears throat> I still had health insurance under my mom, but it only worked there. So I flew back there and she had run a radiology center her like my whole life growing up. So she was super into the medical community. So she got me straight into all these doctor appointments and scans and tests, and they diagnosed it as multiple sclerosis, which is, uh, it's not an immune disorder, and it's basically, like, if you think of your nerves as wires, they have, like, this metal that runs through it, and it's coated in rubber, and with MS, your immune system starts to eat away at that rubber, so when it does, you can't get a signal through, so you start having, like, all these neurological problems, Um, it's just kind of a pain in the ass. (laughs) 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 <laughs> which is like the best way to describe it i think. Um but anyway, so it's was like fuck, like am i going to die? Like what is like life going for it after that, you know? Yeah. Um and of course, webmd oh is like the first thing oh i went no. to. So it was like i like, was like oh okay, like multiple sclerosis. Like what is this? And webmd is like your face is going to fall off and your legs oh are going to like turn into olives and like you're gonna die and like all you know just like the most fatalist totally. shit totally yeah. <laughs> yeah which was a mistake but um so i came back to san diego and ian had known why i was going home because i kind of just like packed up pretty suddenly and like took off and so i opened the gym by myself one day and he i like saw him come in the side door i was like fuck like he's gonna ask what happened and he was actually the first person i told who like oh, wow. wasn't family yeah and i don't think he knows that To this day um but he was the first person i like had to say those words to and he came up to the front desk and was like hey how'd it go i was like well (laughs) i got diagnosed with ms and like life feels like pretty over right now and i just ian is like the most sincere like genuine human on earth like he just has the most kind expression and like aura about him it just makes you want to be a better person (laughs) and i just remember him looking at me with like such sadness where I was like, shit, like, this isn't good. Like, I told someone <laughs> and they're sad for me. <laughs> and then, you know, at the time, Mesa was so small. So everyone, like, kind of started to find out. And everyone does that thing where they put their hand on your shoulder. And they're like, I'm so sorry to hear about that. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, am I going to die? Oh my God, <laughs> like, <you're> people, like... <laughs> people around me all seem, like, very concerned. <laughs> you're not making it better. Yeah, like, what the hell? <laughs> So, like, the whole next couple of weeks was, like, me trying to convince everyone else that it was going to be okay. But meanwhile, being like, is it? Like, is am it? I a liar right now? Oh, God. <laughs> and it was crazy because I had, like, planned this day for people with disabilities. And then months later, like, got diagnosed with my own. And I don't necessarily believe in, like, fate or destiny or anything. But if I did, that would be, like, yeah, the time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so... Yeah, I don't know. So it was just this like crazy... I mean, that year in my life was just so bizarre and so far from what I expected my life to be. Like, I came from the Northeast. So I landed in San Diego with like an attitude problem and I didn't drink kale yet. And I certainly didn't participate in drum circles on the beach. Like, I was just so confused about life here, you know? But then I started to enjoy it. I was like, oh, kale, like, hell yeah. Like, and then it got turned around again. So... It was not what I expected.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And so how does that, as much as you're comfortable talking about it, how does that manifest itself today?
0: Oh, in a lot of different ways. So, and it's so interesting because, you know, a lot of people who I work with now have very like static conditions. So, you know, they're amputees, which although they come with like, its own host of problems, for the most part, you kind of like know you're missing a leg, right? Yeah. And like tomorrow yeah. you'll wake up still not having a leg. Yeah. Um, but with these like autoimmune disorders, it's so just day by day. Um, so I did a clinical study where I was actually on chemotherapy for a year trying to get a bone marrow transplant. And that just felt like I was dying. Like you every Jesus. day, you're just like, like, what is this? Like, oh,
2: <laughs> you're man, like, I- oh,
0: my God. Um, but I haven't really been sick like knock on wood since that kind of wrapped up. But in the process, I lost a pretty like good chunk of vision in my left eye because uh, you get I got a condition called optic neuritis, which is when your immune system is attacking your optic nerve because um, basically any nerve in your body is like free game when you have MS, like your brain, your spinal cord, your eyes, like anything. Wow. Um. So I'm missing like this upper left quadrant of my vision now, which is fun because I hit my head on like low hanging tree branches or cabinet corners, like volumes hanging from the gym. (laughs) Um, But when, you know, when you're having a good day, like you feel fine, you are like, I'm a human again. And then when you have bad days, you're like run down, you feel uncoordinated, like it can be hard to talk. You can have weakness in whatever part of your body, your immune system decides so it's just it's hard yeah and it's so just day to day which in in a way is kind of neat because when you do feel really good you're like hell yeah like really appreciate it yeah this is nice but um i also have pretty severe heat intolerance which is a big part of ms so living in southern california during the summer is like oh god (laughs) (laughs) you're just like you i've always like tried to put words to how that feels and it just feels like you're a bowl of soup Oh, like, your body's just, like, kind of melting. And last, terrible. last summer, my roommate Jordan and I tried to go climb an Echo Cliffs. Which is it F- gets hot out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> really sandbagged me. He was like, the approach is not that bad. It's, and was, it
1: takes a while. It's at least yeah. a half an hour.
0: And I was also carrying all the booze. Oh. So I was, like, hauling bottles of champagne and beer and ropes And we're hiking in and it's like already 90 degrees and it's 8 a.m. And I just remember, I think I threw up like three separate times and then also just lay face down in the dirt. And I was like, this is it. Like, I'm done. (laughs) But it's so, it's cool because I feel like I have friends who are there for me if I need them, but also don't treat me like I'm sick. Like I was suffering and Jordan just like took off. He was like, cool. Like you can catch up when you're ready. I was like okay like i'll just like <laughs> dry heave right here and i'll see you in a bit oh my but God. part of like having these chronic medical conditions is when someone treats you like a victim you start feeling like a victim Become one totally yeah. yeah and so which is like a big philosophy i have with the program here is like i get it we all have stuff but like i'm not going to treat you any different than i treat any other climber because i yeah. refuse to victimize people
1: that's fantastic yeah This is an important segment in our conversation, how we can and should acknowledge the pain without handicapping someone with our words. And I want to shout out to Mesa Rim and all they've done to acknowledge what Jillian deals with, but not hold her back because of it. And no, neither I nor the podcast are affiliated with Mesa Rim. In fact, I'm not even a member anymore. Haven't been for several months now. It's just important to recognize companies that have such a supportive outlook on employee health, both mental and physical. I'm reminded of an interview with Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook and Adam Grant after the 2015 loss of her husband, Dave Goldberg. The interview transcript titled, Above All, Acknowledge the Pain, has always stuck with me. I hope you'll have a chance to read it later on. In part, Cheryl speaks to the virtues of companies that step up during an employee's time of crisis. The companies that provide time to heal, and if they can, some level of financial support during crisis, shows that their company is a human place. A place people feel a sense of belonging and will want to stay and contribute. You'll hear more about just how much this resonates in Jill's story through the emotional support and understanding she's received at Mesa Rim. Now here's Jill to tell us more.
0: And so friends that will do that for you, I think, are a huge part in like getting over like the shock of that, you know?
1: Oh, I have to believe so. Yeah,
0: Because my family, even to this day, God, God bless all their souls. <laughs> but they're like, you should take it easy. Like maybe, maybe you shouldn't stay up for four days straight and like do all these things, you know? And it's like, I get they're like, they care and they just want you to take care of yourself but like nothing makes you feel more sick than like that gentle arm touch where someone's like you should take care of yourself yeah
1: because like you need it you're special you have needs no screw that i have things i want to do i'm going to do them so get away from me yeah (laughs) (laughs) which like
0: my two best friends sean and jordan just like i don't even think they they don't do it intentionally, but they just don't care. They're like, it's just Jill. Like, whatever. If you need to throw up, like, go for it. If you can't see out of your left eye, like, I'm not going to protect you from those tree branches. And you're like, hell yeah. Those
1: are the best kinds of friends. When I mean, because you're, you're... So you have this. And I mean, all the times that I've have crossed paths in the gym or mm-hmm. leading up to this, we went and hung out and, and drank many <laughs> beers together. <Oops. laughs> there was never a point where where it just seemed like, you know, you were battling anything. Yeah. And it's something so serious. And you have the adaptive program. You're on the USA Climbing Team. Mm-hmm. You have the Hazel Foundation. Yeah. You did the Kuwait trip. <laughs> so many things we're going to chat about. And yet you're also dealing with this this personal thing yeah. that you seem to be like, nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think the – so that being said, like, life isn't all roses, you know. And there are – so many days where i'm just like so pissed that this happened you know because it does sink in and you do realize like man i'm like running for it right now but this is not how life my life will always be you know and like the days you do have bad days you're like fuck like why did this happen to me you know yeah and those days are there for sure but they're not the focus of my life and they're not what i choose to share with people and like i mean i have but i do much less of it now because I'm just not going to, like, focus on it, you know?
1: Do you think that you are doing more for distraction or is this just what you would do no matter what? All these um, things.
0: I mean, I have always been, like, an extremely hyperactive
1: person. <laughs> I remember talking about that at uh, <laughs> yeah. the brewery. Oh, <laughs>
0: yeah, so I actually just got into a conversation with my mom and some people who know me who were, like, interrogating my mom. And she's like, oh, my God, like this kid when she was younger, like, oh, I could not. (laughs) Because I was just nuts. Like, I was just an out of control, energetic little ball of psychoness. So part of me thinks that I would always be doing this many things at a time. But I think like the things that I'm actually choosing to do are very much because of like this group that I've fallen into, you know, but also... Back in 2013, if Ian McIntosh was like, actually, we're not into that, like, doesn't sound like something we want to do, like, I don't know what I would be doing. Because this this all happened because one man said, yes, let's do this. Like, I believe in your vision.
1: That's an interesting look back at that.
0: Because had I not had that and just got diagnosed with this, like, I probably would have just moved home, taking care of it. Like, God knows what. Yeah. So it's... All because Ian McIntosh said, "Yeah."
1: <laughs> Holy hell! Yeah, and That's I don't, th- I
0: don't think he really knows that. You know, like I don't know if he's reflected on it, and I've never really said anything about it. But he could have just said no, and that would have been the end of it. Because it, it wasn't—it was just a random idea. Like it yeah. didn't mean anything to me back then, really. You know, yeah. I just wanted to like do something cool, but it—it well, d- it didn't have the foundation it has now. You know, yeah. where it's like my whole life revolves around this.
1: I mean. Yeah, so let's talk more about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so now you're working with Maureen and you're doing the Hazel Foundation and
2: all of that. (laughs) So
0: so right now, just like up to speed, the Adaptive program runs full-time at Rim. So that's like my full-time job. Um, And we work with kids and adults who have a physical disability, chronic medical condition, developmental disability, cognitive, like anything. If you are not the average able-bodied white person between 25 and 35 who makes this salary like you're my people (laughs) (laughs) um so just anything but um so that's what i do here and we run programs throughout the mission valley gym the mirror mesa gym up in reno and then i also work as an instructor for paradox sports so they that's right yeah so they're now sponsored by the north face And we go around and we teach gyms how to start their own programs. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, which is rad. So I just get to like fly around and tell people how to do cool stuff with people with disabilities, which I'm like all for.
1: Changing their (laughs) lives. I mean, that's incredible.
0: And like shaping communities like climbers, I think by nature, always want to do more. And they are helpful people and they want to like use climbing to have impact. So to hand them a basket and be like, this is something you can do. Like Such a great gift. Yeah, they're like, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is so just rad. And I'm really into it. So I do that part-time. between <laughs> <I do laughs> other stuff.
1: Part-time, on top of full-time. Yep. Plus.
0: <laughs> and then I also run the Hazel Foundation for athletics, which is like my newest adventure.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> you needed to add some more to the plate. Of yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, totally. So I think I was trying to explain this the other day, and I think the Hazel Foundation was really... The culmination of everything I went through as a child athlete, and then all of the things I learned from Maserim about how to use that for good. And so, because as a kid, I grew up doing dance and gymnastics and track and like everything. Yeah. Did like basketball <laughs> for a day. <laughs> I was a cheerleader, <laughs> if you can picture me like being bubbly. Um.
1: Actually, I can. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also wore a bow in my hair. It's pretty embarrassing. I don't don't talk about it much. (laughs) Well, no one knows. (laughs) Now it's here. (laughs) But I and I mean I always, as a kid, like appreciated what those things did for me. Cause growing up, I had a father who was an alcoholic who suffered from schizophrenia and was like this violent just energy force growing up. And so no matter what, I like found stability in those activities whether it was like skiing or dance or whatever like that was moments where i could focus on myself and not on what was going on um so i think even from the time i was little i was like this is important like people need access to this but without the life experience you don't really know what that means in relation to other people you kind of just get it for yourself and so then at mason they taught me how to apply those beliefs i had for my own life to other people's lives And so i started to learn like how to create impact and how to talk to people about their lives and like do things and you know like be proactive about stuff so that's everything i learned here and then once all that came together it became the hazel foundation which is we're basically just working to make sure anyone who wants access to sport and recreation like an opportunity so, whether you're women in the Middle East or girls in Mexico or people with disabilities or at-risk youth or people who live below the poverty line, like anyone, you know? Um, and so, our first big project was Kuwait.
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to hear about this. Yeah. I've been waiting.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Well, it was also at the tail end of a month-long trip through um, Istanbul and Nepal. So, it was, like, kind of already on the back end of some <laughs> chaos, but last year I was in Austria for the world championships and my friend Nick who used to be on the adaptive team he's an amputee but then he moved to Kuwait to work over there was like hey you should come visit me blah 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 and I was like hell yeah like I've never been to the Middle East sounds weird
1: (laughs) about it (laughs) sounds like you yeah (laughs) so when I was
0: in Austria I booked a ticket to Kuwait in March and then I'm a big proponent of like learning about where you're going before you go there and I've always been so interested in the Middle East because I grew up in the post 9-11 era. You yeah. know, like I remember watching the Twin Towers fall in my third grade math class, like live on TV. Yeah. And then everything after that was like the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I remember, you know, like the images of it in the news and like all of this, I don't know, like propaganda to an extent of what oh, it's like over there. Yeah. So I had always like, it was this mysterious place to me. Um, so I read a ton of books about, like, Kuwait and just that whole region, and then kind of started to learn more about, like, present-day Kuwait and what it's like. And for people who don't know, um, it is the richest country on the Arabian Gulf, but it's also, like, the size of a quarter. (laughs) Like, it's a tiny (laughs) little country just nested on the Arabian Gulf, um, and their huge industry is oil. So they're, like, a super hyper-wealthy Middle Eastern country. Um, but they also still have very like traditionally conservative gender roles where women are stay at home moms, which is fine. Um, but it's not necessarily a choice like we mm-hmm. have in America. Like I think stay at home moms are rad, but I also think it should be your choice if you want to do that. Yes. Um, so it's very male dominated. Um, it's super super racist. Which I didn't know until I got there.
1: Oh, I had no idea. Yeah.
0: So the thing with Kuwait is that their citizens, like their natural born citizens, get an oil stipend every month, like Alaskan citizens, no but like thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. What? So a lot of the Kuwaiti citizens are naturally wealthy just for being born there, so they don't work like medial jobs, you know? Oh, okay. Um, So a lot of the population there is immigrants who are there on work visas because how are you going to get someone who already makes a living just being a citizen to like work in a grocery store (laughs) or like run Domino's? (laughs) So all of these people are from other countries. So when you have like all of these different countries with their own tumultuous background in a country with its like it's just bizarre. Um, And so women are super oppressed or not necessarily oppressed but they fall into gender roles it's just kind of funky um but one of the big things i learned was that they don't have any female sport program like at all like they don't even have a field to play on and so the whole like class system is kind of like kuwaiti citizen to the top right like if you were to get into a car accident with a kuwaiti citizen no matter what happened it's the non-citizens fault like doesn't matter doesn't matter what happened um and then below that are actually americans because we're a massive buyer of oil we Mm. were on their side with russia and i don't whatever Mm -hmm. um so that's next and then it goes like pakistanis and sri lankans and like all these other countries um but they stick like really highly to those like tier systems so What I was expecting was to be, like, harassed or, like, yelled at or just... Well, I stood out quite a lot, but (laughs) actually, like, I was felt super safe the whole time. And it was actually treated, like, very nicely by every single human I talked to.
1: No kidding. It was
0: such a delightful place. (laughs) (laughs) I was so shocked. Like, we... So we showed up at the airport and it had been like a fucking terrible night like we had a 17 hour layover in dubai where we couldn't even leave the airport because a visa into dubai was like a hundred dollars i was like no way
2: oh man
0: um and so we finally get there and we're in this line to get our visas And there's just, like, a shit ton of people. People are yelling at us in Arabic. Like, I didn't understand anything. And I started crying to Jordan. Oh, no. (laughs) And I was like, I'm just so tired and people are yelling at me. And, like, just, like, I, like, you know, just my way. Um, (laughs) And then I was, like, trying to get all my documents out. And I pulled out my passport. And I was just holding it in my hand. And one of the security people walked by and noticed I was holding a U.S. passport. And, like, pulled me and Jordan out of line. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, we're getting in trouble. <laughs> <We're screwed. laughs> um, but then, like, pulled us to the front of the line. And it was so nice. And he's like, let me... Like, I'll make you a copy of this. Like, here's this. Like... Wow. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> cool. Um, and then, like, we were on our way. But... So, <laughs> I just really diverted from the point <laughs>
1: No, no, not <laughs> at all. Part of the whole the story. The whole
0: reason that... Well, like, after I had done research, I was like, this would be cool to, like, do a project here, you know? Um, And I was like, I want... I had reached out to a girls' school there, which was a Western school, um, and they're staffed by American and Canadian teachers, so they very much teach, like, a full curriculum of science and technology and, like, the whole STEM stuff, Um, and it's also, like, just as expensive as Harvard, but these girls are in like fourth grade oh wow yeah education is like really intense there because a lot of it is private schools and they're like preparatory schools like you're if you're not going to be a stay-at-home mom like you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer or like a petroleum engineer and it's like intense yeah like but also like the dollar conversion is not in our favor so like what is expensive to, to me to imagine going to fifth grade is like not to them um But I had reached out to them and I was like, hey, I'm coming to Kuwait in March. Like, I would love to talk to these girls about, like, my experience with sports and all this stuff and just, like, share. And they were like, cool, of course, like, whatever, come swing by. I was like, rad. But then I kind of was like, well, why the fuck would I talk to them about sports? They can't even go anywhere. Like, they're not going to relate to it at all because there's not a single field you can go play on. And so then that was really, like, the catalyst for starting this foundation because I wanted to build a soccer field. (laughs) And I had always had the idea for a nonprofit but never really had, like, a deadline to do it. So I just was like, oh, I'll do it someday. But I was like, March. (laughs) March (laughs) is my deadline. Like, I have to, like, be able to get this going so that we can, like, get things donated and, like, do it as an official thing, right? Because you're like, hey, can you give me a soccer field? And people are like no (laughs) what What? (laughs) but you're like hey i'm from this like organization like we're doing this project can you donate a soccer field and write it off on your taxes Uh and people are like yeah yes i can can. (laughs) (laughs)
2: um
0: and so i like just hustled a bunch of people together and i was like we're on a deadline people (laughs) like we gotta do this now (laughs) like everyone get your books and we're doing it um and so we started it in time so amazing yeah so we like incorporated ourselves and became a 501c3 and i got turf donated and balls donated and shoes and like all this stuff um and we i went over there and we cut the ribbon on the field so they were building it while i was still here um because like no kidding yeah i mean they had to like clear and level land and put in like you know stuff yeah like irrigation systems (laughs) i don't know um and then they laid turf and we cut the ribbon when I got there and I talked to the girls and parents were there and I shared my story and I shared uh like stories of people who I've worked with and no one like really cared um (laughs) which is like kind of a bummer (laughs) yeah it kind of took like a dark like not a dark turn but it went how I expected but not how I like blindly optimistically hoped like when I pictured it I was like you know this like white night. From America, like coming to give you soccer, and which is like what I wanted it to be, which is just fucking not realistic. But I think everyone kind of had a hard time realizing, like what it means to be in a sport, you know, because yeah, it's such a new idea. Or, yeah, yeah. And so, all these parents were there who were like, "Why the fuck would I want my daughter running around playing soccer when I'm spending forty thousand dollars a year for her to be a lawyer?" And I was like, well, it'll make her happy and, like, a good person. And these dads were just like, ugh. (laughs) gave me, like, (laughs) the, like, most skeptical look. Um, So that, like, sucked. Uh, But I'm going back, and I think it's really made me kind of look at, you know, what are the benefits of movement beyond just, like, making you feel good. Yeah. And so now I'm in this, like, next research loop in my life (laughs) where, you know, you look at, like, graduation rates and acceptance, blah, acceptance to college rates for kids who are involved in sports versus not involved in sports. And it has academic benefits. Kids are more likely to get better grades when they're in college. They're more likely to pursue a graduate degree after if they play a sport in school um, and all this other stuff. So it's kind of taken me away from all this anecdotal feel good about sports and more into this like research-based statistics about why movement is good for kids. So it's been cool. Um, and I'm going back in November to like, continue working on this initiative. And I think what I realize is, you know, just like the adaptive pro- program took me six years to get here. Like this project is also going to take a long time, you know, and it's not just a one and done kind of thing. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the difference. Right. If you do that in like, let's say, um, you know, inner city Detroit, mm-hmm. it, these kids understand sports. And, yeah. and they get the value. So you go there and you have to show them. And then in the workplace you know mm-hmm. when they move on they're adults and they've grown up as an athlete they understand teamwork and kind of hierarchy and instruction better and all these kind of these these things that I, I think would really speak well to you know to them over there because it sounds like that's their whole focus yeah like how do they excel in life and you yeah. can show them this will make them happy but it will also make them better citizens and, yeah. and employers and employees totally. and things like that
0: yeah and it's interesting because so a while ago i watched the snoop dogg documentary and what i so snoop dogg like built a football program in la for at-risk boys yeah
1: what yeah it's such a what? it's such
0: a good documentary too it's like a series but he took like a couple million dollars and built this like incredibly successful football program for at-risk boys wow. who grow up in like the ghettos in la and he coaches he he himself coaches them like five days a week he teaches them about like self-respect and respect for others and like work ethic and like all this stuff through football right so he's teaching all these other life skills and he flies them to all these games like all over the country and teaches them just like how to invest in themselves you know and they have to get good grades they have to show up they have to try hard like all these things and so after kuwait i was thinking back to that and i was like Damn, it's not about just being happy and enjoying movement. It's about a vehicle to teach skills within, you know?
1: Absolutely. Which is
0: also what I learned from dance. Like, I showed up every day on time, worked super hard, worked hard when I got home still. Like, so there's there's hard skills to learn and there's soft skills to learn. And I think in other cultures, those hard skills are what matters, you know.
1: Absolutely. But right. through
0: my work, I've gotten like really caught up in all the soft feel goods. Well, in Southern California. <laughs> I God, I know I've gone soft.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, I transplanted here from small town Oregon, and it was it was even a shock staying on the West Coast. Yeah. Coming down to the Southwest coast, it's Oof. it's very soft.
0: Yeah, and I grew up with like ballet teachers who would hit you in the ankles with a bamboo stick if you were off you know (laughs) and now i'm here like telling people you can do it i'm like i'm so proud of you (laughs) like i've gotten soft
1: (laughs) same it it was a big shift like so it's like while they're trying like oh i'm proud of you but i'm no, you're yeah. not there yet, though. I'm, I'm not proud of you yet. <laughs> but
0: it's good to like, be well-rounded. Like, Absolutely. Just earlier today, like 10 minutes before you got here, I was screaming at people with disabilities to like, try harder because we were doing a core workout. Now, I was like, you only have 10 seconds left. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm just like, well-rounded now. That's you know? good. <laughs> not fully soft, not fully hardened anymore, just somewhere in between.
1: <laughs> but I love you can bring both of those backgrounds because, as you said earlier, You know when we have a disability we don't need to be reminded of it yeah we don't need someone to tell us like oh you know you can not do this exercise if you want to sit this one out it's like no i'm going to do it i just might have to change my body position or something but you can do it still
0: totally and i think that was one of the things that i learned through this program like (laughs) i always tell the story of when i met trent smith who was the first person to ever even sign up for that community day in 2013. Um, And he is a below-the-knee amputee who was in a car accident in high school. Um, And, like, besides myself, who was newly diagnosed with MS, like, I had never met anyone with a disability in my life, which is crazy because I went 20 years without it. But whatever, never did. And so he was the first one to show up that day, and he has a prosthetic leg, and I handed him a shoe for his regular leg. And then I was like, do you want a shoe for a for that uh I was like fuck I don't even know like how to refer to his prosthetic
2: (laughs) body
0: and I was like so uncomfortable and then you know Trent and I climbed together for years after that as good friends and as climbing partners and I started to develop my coaching philosophy more and more of like how I talk about coaching and climbing movement and how I treat athletes and all this stuff and like refined my beliefs on it and Trent was like god you were so annoying when i first met you because all you did was say like good job and blah 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 and you were so (laughs) overly nice And now all you do is make me do like one-arm pull-ups and call me a
2: bitch
0: (laughs) (laughs) i was like yeah like it's and it was so interesting to hear someone say like you were so nice that you made me feel bad about myself like you made me feel like you didn't even think i was capable of anything and that if i just stepped in the door it was like an accomplishment
1: absolutely and i was
0: like damn like you're super right yeah <laughs> but if you're not accustomed to people who are different than you it's hard to treat them equally
1: that is so true yeah it's so true because you don't it sounds bad but you don't see them as an equal because yeah. you just aren't used to and you want to i think human nature were you know all good and kind and mm-hmm. you want to offer them some level of like you know, here's a, here's an olive branch or here's yeah. like a handicap to give yeah. you like, you know, you don't have to try as hard because of this mm-hmm. or things like that. Totally. And that's, I think we, we do it with altruistic intent, but it's damaging.
0: Yeah, for sure. And it's just like, it only makes you feel better. You know, it doesn't yeah, make them feel better. So it just makes you feel more comfortable. Yeah, and you've like, done a nice thing. Yeah. Like what a selfish thing to do. <laughs>
2: yeah, right.
0: <laughs> and it's also too, like these people spend... So myself included spend so much time in doctor's offices and therapy, whether it's like physical therapy or occupational therapy or like anything like you're so over medicalized that you just want to feel like a person who has hobbies or passions again, you know, you're not just this like patient with a patient file number and a condition. Yeah. You know, like people come here and they're rock climbers to me. Hell yeah. You're not a patient. I don't care if you have one leg. I don't care if you don't have hands. Like you're a climber when you step in this door. And to give them that kind of identity, I think is rad.
1: Shit. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing.
0: Yeah. Like all of the ways that I identify myself, like an MS victim is so low on the list. You know, like above that, I'm a climber and a mountaineer and a skier and a friend and a coach and like (laughs) all these things. And like somewhere at the bottom, I'm an MS victim. And so if you can give other people that ability to identify themselves in constructive ways instead of... As an amputee, as a cancer survivor, as a car crash victim. Like mm-hmm. then it just stops mattering. And then you're just a rock climber or yeah. you're an outdoor enthusiast or a skier or a kayaker. Like, That's what whatever. I love
1: about athletics. And this is not meant in any way to like glorify myself, but I remember the first time that I was with friends at the Mira Mesa location mm-hmm. um and we saw the adaptive climbing team and somebody mentioned, like, Oh, how cool, like, you know, they're climbing like well, they're climbers, like what else would they be doing? Yeah. Like get back to what you were doing. Yeah. Like, and, and it never like <laughs> dawned on me that, you know, and then you, you know, you appreciate like how hard they're working. It's like, well, they're just, they're climbers. Like, yeah. What? <laughs> what? What more do you want? You know? I know. It's so,
0: <laughs> and it's funny too, because I see it so much in like our front desk because <clears throat> people come in here in wheelchairs or they come yeah. in with no hands. And you can always tell when someone is new to the front desk staff because they're like pupils dilate. And they're just like what <laughs> <laughs> and then you see like a veteran staff member like throw a harness at them and say like hey what's up yeah <laughs> and totally. it's
1: like no big deal it's like this is where come to be
0: yeah like a tough
1: badass climber yeah and like <laughs> I mean,
0: you belong here you yeah, know
1: 100 <laughs> percent. like yes. if
0: if i were to walk in to a climbing gym and someone looked shocked that i was there like i wouldn't feel welcome there
2: god no you like, here? I like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can like see that i don't belong here the second i walk in
1: yeah yeah, so. be like, I'm walking to a KKK meeting. Like, yeah, I expect that they're <laughs> going to be a little shocked.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, I love the fact that our front desk doesn't notice them anymore.
1: That's so great. Yeah,
0: like we just had an event with the VA where we had like 10 people in wheelchairs come in. And generally, you don't think of someone in a wheelchair in a climbing gym. But they all started coming in. I remember Mateo from the front desk just like flipped the floor up so they could use the ramp. And I was like, hey, she filled out a waiver? And I was like, yes! <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> like, this is what I want. <laughs>
1: Hell yes. And this is what you've created here.
0: Yeah, which is so cool.
1: Yeah, at 20... I'm 26 now. So I crazy. I know, I'm getting
0: old. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> just kidding. I just feel old because I don't sleep anymore.
2: <laughs>
1: I'll give you that. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, Mace I In this article I wrote, like, I just... For the first time like really talked about the fact that i grew up here and i just yeah, had a wild. conversation with someone the other day like man what if i had moved here and gotten a job like in a bank
1: seriously or like just doing just like, like office a nine to five something yeah, yeah
0: but like they shaped me through everything that i went through like through my diagnosis i got married and divorced while working here like my dad passed away i lost friends like all this crazy stuff and you know those times in your lives and those kind of events can change you so drastically based on you know your situation at the time absolutely so when like for example like when my dad passed away um i took a couple days off work but there were 20 people a day who were like hey are you okay just checking in just saying hi you know and that makes you feel like the world's not over and so you move through these events with this like grace that's only there because of the people around you. Yeah. So had I not had that through these like really formative years in your life, like who knows what I would have become? Probably an asshole. Seriously. I mean,
1: <laughs> really, when you think about the when you work in an environment where your job is surrounding a passion, a hobby, an activity, mm-hmm. something that people are driven by. It's such a different community than when you're in a corporate office, yeah. And you're, you know, making money for a bunch of people, and you're mm-hmm. getting a small slice of that. Like you're all getting a big slice of the satisfaction here and the community, and that it just shows. I mean, the the fact that you speak so highly of it, and it's made yeah. such a big impact in your life, and you're able to make such a big impact on so many lives
0: now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's like just such a special place to me, and I feel like. Like, growing up, I had all kinds of, like, shit going on between, like, my dad and I, like, abused drugs in high school. And, like, to think of where I could have landed for my 20s, like, I can't think of a better place. Yeah, it's awesome. God, it's, yeah, it's just crazy, you know. And those years are just so important because it shapes your personality and, like, your morals and your beliefs and how you view things. So to land at a place that views things in such a positive, like, self-empowered way... Is like how i got here now yeah <laughs> you know, like, it's just so rad i don't know how many people can say that they're that fortunate
1: yeah i uh not as many as should be able to say that yeah yeah which
0: is like i mean i was going to college and was just on this path to a nine to five office job and Jesus, if that had worked out, (laughs) how unfortunate it would have been.
2: scary to think, right?
0: (laughs) Like I sit down for like two hours a day to do emails before I coach. And by the end of the two hours, I'm like, oh, I've been still for so long. (laughs) Like if that was eight hours a day for my life, I would explode. Like I would die.
2: (laughs) It can be tough. Yeah.
0: So I think I just found something that like suits me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Remain independent of any source of income that will deprive you of your personal liberties. This is a quote out of a book titled, Don't Squat With Your Spurs On by Texas Bix Bender. Yes, both of those things are real. (laughs) One of my earliest childhood friends gave me that book in grade school after he'd taken a trip to the John Day Fossil Beds in Oregon. He also had this senior quote that I want to mention. It doesn't really apply, but it's just super great. There are no great leaders, so I follow myself. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not going to jaw on about this because really that's the heart of this entire podcast to share stories to inspire your wide eyed and wild minded disruption of the status quo. Remember to the people and mechanisms meant to hold you under their thumb be absolutely intractable, just like Jill. And that's what I continue to find so fascinating about her. She never lies down and says, okay, enough is enough. I give in. She keeps fighting, keeps creating, and aligning her personal liberties to her career. She continues to show up. As Dylan sings in the song, Tangled Up in Blue, the only thing I knew how to do was to keep on keeping on blue. To
2: love blue.
1: as we jump back into the conversation we discuss yet another way Jillian keeps showing up how she just keeps on keeping on this time as a member of of the usa climbing team
0: so the year after um my adaptive program here started they kind of started like popping up everywhere a little bit and climbers like started to get going and more people were getting into it and so usa climbing every year throws a national championships where all like the world's strongest climber or country's strongest climbers come out and they try and compete for a spot on the usa team and since all these adaptive programs are getting going we're like hey like we are climbers too. Like we want to compete also. So, I get a call from Ronnie Dixon, <clears throat> who's a <clears throat> is a amputee climber out of Florida, of all places, where like there are no rocks.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> 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 um, but he was like, "Hey, we're going to make like an adaptive climbing national championship. Like do you guys want to come?" And I was like, "Hell yeah." Because I'm a hyper competitive person <laughs> like in anything. <laughs> like I used to like Race my brother to brush our teeth at night, like oh savage, <laughs> <That's>... competitive trait. <laughs> wow. Um, so it was like yeah. So Trent and I flew to um Atlanta, and there was like maybe thirty climbers I think from around the country who showed up. And Ronnie Dixon, mutant strong, that man, I swear to God, put steroids in his pre workout. <laughs> and then Craig D Martino, who's another incredible climber out of Colorado, were kind of like really pushing this like competitive adaptive climbing thing um so i had never climbed competitively i did like other competitive sports but at that time i was just like training through this ms bullshit and like just focus on climbing so it's like i'm gonna crush like i'm strong blah 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 like how strong can other disabled people be like i don't think so uh, I was super wrong. People with <laughs> disabilities are strong AF. And I did, I like fell off the route that I thought I was going to warm up on. And then I went outside and cried and like chain smoked cigarettes under the stairs in the rain.
2: Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was the first time I remember being like extremely humbled by how strong people with disabilities can be. Cause I was wow. like, holy shit. <laughs> um, So anyway, so I, like, had to break down because I hadn't yet learned to, like, control my
2: competitiveness.
0: (laughs) 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 Um, And then ended up, I think that year I got, like, third place, which was rad. Oh, wow. And then got a spot on the U.S. team to go compete in Spain. But... Um, at that time, I like wasn't this self assured, like confident person that I've become. So the idea of traveling internationally alone, like I just didn't think that I would do, that, like could do that. I was like, I don't even know how to book a flight. To a different country, like I don't think I own a passport.
1: <laughs> and, I like how you weren't sure if you yeah, own a passport. <laughs>
0: like I, th- I had left the country as a kid, but like I don't know, I was just like so afraid and timid of the world still. Sure. So I didn't do it, um, which I still kind of regret to this day. But the next year I also competed, and then have been competing every year since, except this year but every year before. Um, And I've been a part of the national team three years and competed three times overseas. So I went to um, Paris, France, Edinburgh, Scotland, and then just most recently to uh, Innsbruck, Austria to compete as part of the US team, which is really fun because I just go absolutely nuts leading (laughs) up to competitions. Like, When I was training for France, I think was the most neurotic I remember feeling in my entire life because I was also going through a divorce at the time and was just like a different level of psychotic. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you know what? Climbing is all I have and it's going to be all I want to have. And this is it. And I used to wake up at 3 a.m. And I would wake up my roommate, Jen Gold. God bless her soul for bearing with me through this. And we would get to Maesterim at like 3.30 in the morning. I would open the gym because it's not open at that time. (laughs) (laughs) I would make her sit with me while I trained from like 3.30 to 7.30. And then I would go home, shower, eat a protein shake, come work eight hours, and then train again at night. And then I did that for like six months. (laughs) And I went bonkers. (laughs) 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 But it was like at that time, it was all I had was like climbing
2: yeah
0: (laughs) and so but it's fun because you get into this like tunnel vision where you're like i'm gonna
1: win totally (laughs) you get to be so focused and then
0: and then when it's over you're like Whoa, i can like eat again
2: (laughs) and like breathe again
0: um and i have just done that every year since like i get into these like six months of just absolute (laughs) psychosis and train my ass off and yeah honestly yeah
1: oh man
0: Cause I naturally have like so much physical energy in general. So to actually like have something to focus it towards is like very helpful.
1: Oh <laughs> otherwise yes. it's
0: just like oh.
1: <laughs> I have this dream where I have all this like a six month period to be the world's most overtrained amateur runner that doesn't win any races, but is yeah. just like training nonstop yeah. all the time for no good reason. <laughs> it's like yeah.
0: when I was <laughs> sitting on that long layover in Dubai. Um, I mean, if you can picture someone who drinks four pots of coffee a day but can't leave like a two hundred square foot radius, like it's toxic. Um, yeah. A so bit. I was like, Jordan, <laughs> do you know it'd be fun if I tried to ride my bike a thousand miles in a month? <laughs> 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 and he's like, because I have like this road bike that I dabble on, but I really like only just relearned how to ride a bike i hadn't ridden one since i was a child um i was like i'm gonna do it like a thousand miles in 30 days when i get back you know i honestly
1: um, believe that you will like
0: oh i did yeah so i got back and (laughs) i had like quite a lot of catching up in life to do so i hadn't like started it right away but i was like oh fuck i like made this commitment to myself like i said i was gonna do it and then i was like oh but i said that when i had it moved in 17 hours <laughs> i was like you know what like i'm not competing in climbing this year like i don't need to worry about it like i'm gonna do it and oh, so my i did and oh, my. my ass has never hurt like it does for oh, a thousand miles I'm i like. bet yeah but it's been really fun
1: where did you go
0: uh, so, um what? i had this problem where i think that if i like put my mind to something i can do it but my body is like, hey, like here yeah. we here We're I here am too. too. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I made the mistake of do- <laughs> doing this ride from Anza Borrego, which is a desert yeah. at like sea level, to um, the top of Mount Laguna, which is at like I don't know, like seven thousand feet or some- like of course something like something. I don't know. <laughs> so I parked at like the far end of Anza Borrego State Park. And then I was going to the top of the mountain, like across the park, and and then like up the mountain, um, and I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember, like once you start going up the mountain, it's not like rolling hills; it is like just straight up, like the yeah. whole time. Oh, at, like yeah, it a is. pretty, like it's a pretty even steepness. But it's but unrelenting. It's, it's, yeah, it it's stop just all. the whole time. Yes, and I had. This is super embarrassing, but I had Taylor Swift playing. Oh,
1: okay. It was good talking to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hate
0: myself too. Um, But I found this album that she did in 2017, which is just like... It's so embarrassing, but it has such a good tempo. You should be embarrassed right now. I am. (laughs) I know. I usually listen to like ASAP a lot. Um, But I had Taylor Swift playing the whole time. And dude, I got my ass up a mountain and then I put my hammock up and slept for four hours and the worst part okay so you go up a mountain and then you go down so the down is the easy part um but as i was driving out of anza i realized i left my wallet at home and i ran out of gas
2: oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i was in okay just like had to put my body through the ringer like this was my first bike ride on this bike pretty much wow Um, so I was really dirty, super sweaty in the middle of the desert with a bike on the back of my Volkswagen Golf, just looking like a haggard psycho. And I was begging people for money to get gas, (laughs) which was crazy because they're like, this chick has like a really expensive road bike on her car, but she's begging for Dollars at a gas station.
1: You're like because I have a really expensive road bike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was like
0: really like tattered up and just like super f- oh, fucking man. dehydrated looking and like kind of gnar. <laughs> <People are> like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, but it was fun, and so I have been doing. So I learned my lesson, like, if I'm going to do a lot of miles, they can't all be hard.
2: This
1: is very true.
0: (laughs) So I found this 100-mile loop that I do that goes from um, Coronado to, like, the Mexican border and then to downtown, and then back. Oh, nice. So I've just been really like repeating that loop because it's easy. I can do it like before work or after work or on the weekends without having to like drive to the desert.
1: Wait, 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 wait! A one hundred mile loop before or after
0: work? Yeah, it's been heinous. That is my heinous. days have started at four again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what i need i like need something to focus all this intensity on and so these like stupid self-imposed challenges which i immediately regret once i start are super good they're the best and i truly have listened to taylor swift on every ride and oh, i don't man. feel bad i don't feel bad anymore. no no be,
1: be, be proud of who you are Jill. i'm not proud i would say but I,
0: i'm not as mad at myself as i was the first
1: time i think i read something somewhere it was like maybe in a dating thing where somebody had said, eh, maybe it was a meme. I don't know. But like, you know, he can't look through my underwear drawer. Or, you know, he could look through my underwear drawer, but not my Spotify playlist. Mm. And I, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not proud of everything in my Spotify playlist. Either, yeah. So.
0: Oh, here. Let's look through mine All right. right
1: now. All right. So you have to you have to name the last three. What is it? Let's do recently played?
0: I mean, I can, I can just tell oh, you. Oh, mine's pretty cool. Is it?
1: Yeah, I'm proud of mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. What when, are your last three I feel like played?
0: they... <laughs> I feel like the names of my playlists are more embarrassing than the songs that are in I them. I love
1: people's playlist names. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> so I have the Grey's Anatomy soundtrack. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> and then <laughs> okay, and it has a picture of the woman from it as like the cover art. Um, And then after that, I have a playlist called Wubs, which is just like really heavy house music, (laughs) like super heavy, like some deep house music. (laughs) Yeah. I don't even want to look at it. Um, And then after that. I have a playlist called Dem Feelers, <laughs> Feelers. <laughs> <laughs> which is all like super sad, like Mumford and oh Sons and of Monsters and Men and the Lumineers and like all the shit I cry to when I'm upset Please about. Please share whatever. that
1: one with me. I'm
0: not, this is like a private thing. Oh, I got some Meg Mac on it. Yeah, it's pretty heavy.
2: <laughs> it's <is> pretty heavy. <laughs> I did some,
0: you couldn't tell. I get some really intense emotional
2: swings.
0: <laughs> Uh, and then I have some like a really decent amount of... Oh, I have one called Dark and Stormy. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. That was oh,
2: good lord. such a regrettable lord. thing to share.
0: <laughs>
1: I mean, I could cut all that, but I'm not going to. No,
0: share it with the people. 100% I'm not it. going to. Yeah. <laughs> you
1: know, I'm safe because I make a playlist every month.
0: Oh. And
1: then I just title it the month.
0: Oh so shit. I yeah, can... you have some privacy in exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs>
1: you can you could see how I'm feeling based on the songs, but just by the titles of yeah. you'll never know. Dude,
0: if you think that's bad, you should see my recently played on Netflix. I feel like that's my really dark.
1: dark oh place. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes got really big and creepy.
0: <laughs> I just recently watched a documentary called The Little Lion in Your Living Room. And it's all about house cats. Oh my god, what? And I put down an entire bottle of wine and like three shrimp tacos while I watch this cat documentary. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I appreciate your <laughs> candor. Yep. <laughs>
0: it's, it's rough.
1: This is, I think, the best segue so far into oh god. asking. Um, I'm just going to let you end it how you want to it feels a like oh, good time because yeah, it's, getting weird. <laughs> it's getting weird and it's gonna either continue weird or <laughs> flip completely a different direction but story any message you want to send any party words whatever you want oh so man
0: all you. i didn't even think about meaningful stuff shit Hmm. i mean i don't know i feel like it's so hard because my message has changed so many times in my life you know like When I was younger, it was all just about, like, self-indulgence and narcissism and doing, you know, I'm a teenager, whatever the fuck I want, kind of stuff, and really went for... It's just, like, gone through so many places, you know? Um, And I try... so, So I have a life coach, also, who I work with, and I have tried for so long to, like, brand my own identity and, like, what my message is to people, but I don't think I have one. Like, I think my life revolves around getting people to just be whoever they want that day and like my ability to do whatever I want each day you know like one day I woke up as a road cyclist and maybe next week I'll wake up as a backcountry skier and like I've never wanted to box myself in and so I don't know if I have a message <laughs>
1: I think that's a, I think that's a great message
0: yeah like I th- you know we talk about all these identifiers we have I never want to cross any off my list I just want to keep them all on there
1: i i mean i think that's a great message and you're you're living that yeah you're doing the hell
0: out of that yeah just don't suck don't be a bad person (laughs) it's like really all i believe in (laughs) you know anything else is just rad
1: (laughs) hell yes yeah (laughs) chill this is awesome
0: i feel like this is such a different podcast and like Jordan Cannon, who's like flying up El Cap and all these like really like cool climbers and I'm just fucking about, but.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So you started the adaptive climbing program. You compete on the USA team. You have the Hazel Foundation. You coach for Paradox. Yeah. You're just fucking about, Jilly.
0: it feels like it.
1: And I think that's the best because you know you love what you're
2: doing.
0: Yeah. Every day is just such a gift. And I think, you know, from where I was in high school, which was such a dark place. And since then, I've had a lot of so in high school, I got kind of into like the drug scene and this and that because I just didn't know how to process life. Um, And since then, I've had a lot of friends who have passed away from overdoses that I used to use drugs with. And I just think that every day is like such a gift. And I just have this life now that I'm so happy with and just surrounded by like the world's greatest humans. And it's just such an amazing place to be.
1: And that's the show for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are so compelled Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to podcasts. Both of these things help push the conversations into new listeners' feeds. And hey, Denver, I'll be seeing you next week at Outdoor Retailer. If you'll be there too, tap me on the shoulder and say hi. Mountains of thanks to Jillian for being Jillian. You're incredible, and I am so honored to share your words. And thank you, thank you, thank you all so much for continuing to share the stoke of the pod. I'll never stop saying it because it's always true. It means the world to me. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whoever you're there with,
2: to your wildest
1: self, be true.
2: Hear the call in the distance.